Thank you very much. I want to ask you a question, and that is what influence, and it will kind of shape our thoughts together today, what kind of influence do you think that you have? What kind of influence do you think you have? Influence someone, try to kind of mesh a bunch of descriptions, definitions together. So this is kind of what I, what I piece together. Influence is a capacity to have a compelling effect on the character, opinions, or behavior of someone. There's lots of other things we could add, but what sort of influence do you see that the Lord has given you? The capacity to have a compelling impact on the compelling effect on the character, opinions, behavior of someone, or to change something. What influence do you have currently in people's lives? What kind of circumstances gave you that influence? I'd like for that to kind of be in our thoughts as we open God's word together. We're going to do, fair warning, we're going to do some time travel today. We're going to go back centuries to the time period in Second uh, Chronicles. So if you have your Bibles, if you could take them and turn there. Second Chronicles. And Second Chronicles, when we read from that, in some ways it reminds me a little bit of like you get on a plane and you fly to a foreign country because as you land in passages like Second Chronicles 17, where we're going to be today, there's just so many things that are different. So when you go to uh, a new country, often the dress is different, the language is different, the customs are different, the people seem different. Visually, there are things that are different. And, and certainly there are noises and smells. I mean, all, it's just a different world than we normally live in. And so many things are different. And as we go into Second Chronicles, we just have been reminding ourselves it's different. And so we've got to make sure we realize that. We're actually on a specific hunt in Second Chronicles. We're hunting for bright spots. So a lot of the book of Second Chronicles is dark. There's a lot of mess. There are a lot of problems that people get into. And yet there are these bright spots where someone relied on the Lord, where God showed his grace in a real powerful way. And so we're trying to identify some of these bright spots, even in a world that is seemingly hopeless and wicked and dark. God shines the light in some of those places. Today we're going to look at a character individual in the Bible named Jehoshaphat. He was king in Israel for 25 years in ancient Israel. The Bible records several stories of his life in 2 Chronicles 17, 18, 19, and 20. We're only going to look at two of those, even though all the episodes of his life are very interesting. And we're going to start with chapter 17. So I'm going to ask Caitlin to come read. She's going to read from verse 1 to 6 of 2 Chronicles 17. Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that Asa, his father, had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he worked, walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord, and furthermore, he took the high places in the ashram out of Judah. Thank you, Caitlin, for reading. 
I want you to notice something about Jehoshaphat's life. Again, we're going to look at a couple episodes. This is one of those. And I want you to see, particularly in this one, the strength that Jehoshaphat had. And we're going to kind of pair that, the influence question that we asked earlier, and kind of look at it from this angle. What sort of influence does God give us from a position of strength? How, can, how will God, how might God use our influence when we have influence from a position of strength? Did you see how strong Jehoshaphat was? So there are a lot of different markers of this. As you read in scripture, in, in verse 1, it says he is ruling and he's reigning, he's in charge. It also says he's strong. When you come to verse 2, it says he fortified cities. Verse 5, it says the Lord established his kingdom. Verse 5 also tells us he was rich and that everybody gave him honor. So you just see layer upon layer upon layer of words of strength. The Lord had given him that. No doubt he had worked hard as a king, but the Lord had blessed him from a position of strength, had given him influence from a position of strength. There's also this kind of theme that runs right alongside of him being strong, and that is that he was also very devoted to the Lord. So verse 4 says that he sought the God of his father. I think that's telling us he was a person of prayer, depending on the Lord. It also tells us in verse 4 and verse 6 that he walked in the commandments of the Lord. It says he was actually courageous in the ways of the Lord. So there's some sort of consistency with his life. He's not perfect, but there's some sort of consistency with his life that says that person is devoted to the Lord. And not only that, but did you notice the references? I, there are a couple of different references in these verses to him like taking down the asherim or cutting down the asherim and taking down and not letting them uh, put up the statues of Baal. So most of the kings of this time period would have just found it easier to keep more people happy. Politically, it would have made a lot more sense to just kind of incorporate it all. So you worship the one God, but there's also these, and you kind of just merge it. And he didn't go that route. So we see this picture of him as strong. By all measures, he's strong. One place my mind goes immediately when you read of this kind of strength and power and authority and rule. One thing my ears are trained, because if you live in 2021 and you hear a power, you've grown really accustomed to abuse of power stories. I mean, this week, we don't know what the name will be. But surely there will be someone who had all sorts of power, honor, money. And we're used to it. We're so used to it. Sadly, we're used to it. We, we expect to hear the real story. The story of womanizing. The story of bullying. The story of sexual abuse the story of a lifestyle that just stepped on everybody under. I mean, this is what, we, what we've come to expect when we hear of someone with a lot of power or a lot of money. And yet, with all the power, with all the strength that the Lord had given Jehoshaphat, we don't read of this in his life. It is a helpful, 
helpful to kind of remind ourselves of actually what we read. Okay, he's gotten power. He's gotten authority. How will he leverage that? How will he leverage his influence? If the Lord has given him these things, how will he use what the Lord has given him to have a compelling effect on the behavior, the opinion, the attitude, the character of someone? How will he use his influence to change things? And, and what you find in the story of Jehoshaphat, and we, we could read a, a lot of different episodes here of his, of his life, but if you read the first six verses, which Caitlin read, and then you read the next few verses, you see how he leveraged his influence, his position of strength. What he did is he, he leveraged that to make sure people understood God's word. As a matter of fact, in verse 7 of 2 Chronicles 17, it says that in the third year of his reign, he sent out officials and Levites and priests. And verse 9 says they taught in Judah... And this was the curriculum. They had the book of the law, the instruction of the Lord with them. And they went through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. I know I'm partially biased here, but I believe the best educators around are at Ogletown Baptist Church. I know I'm biased. But I, but I know the heart of the teachers in this room and those who want to see another generation educated. And you appreciate this probably more than most, that I mean, for all the announcements and all the pronouncements that you could make, there's something about, think about this, going to all the cities and, and how wise of Jehoshaphat do send out officials to go to this city and that city and this city and that city. And they're opening God's word so that everybody would at least have the opportunity to understand it at least have the opportunity to take God's word and begin applying it in their lives, not just not just from the palace, but notice how he presses. He's leveraging, only the king could do this. And he's leveraging that influence to make sure that another generation hears the word of the Lord. It's, it's the same heartbeat that is driving, even as I'm speaking right now, driving people to not sit in these chairs, but to be next door and tell kids the good news of Jesus Christ, to tell kids to remind them that God loves them, to lead them. I mean, that, that's the same heartbeat. We want that deeply embedded into the hearts and minds of others. I, again, we could, we're going to have to pick and choose because there's a hundred verses in the life of Jehoshaphat, four chapters. But as you go to the next chapter, so if you go to Second Chronicles 18, what I find is the Bible is like painfully honest, brut brutally honest, but helpfully honest. Because in chapter 18, this is far from Jehoshaphat's finest moment. Actually, Scripture will record him doing things that are leaning on his own understanding, not trusting in the Lord. Will record him being a companion of fools rather than being a companion of the wise. Yet in the midst of Jehoshaphat forming an alliance with one of the most wicked kings in all the Bible, Ahab, you still see him leveraging the influence he had as he brings a question to Ahab. And the question is this in 2 Chronicles 18.6, after hearing some other prophets give their opinions, he brings a question, he leverages influence and says, can we hear from the Lord? Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of? We're going to hear from the Lord on this, right? So again, this is not, in many ways, it's not his finest moment as far as the whole big picture, but even in the middle of that, he is still pointing wicked King Ahab 
somewhere to like, we've got to hear from what God has to say. It's always a good question. We are going to hear what God has to say about this, right? We are going to find out his will on this, right? He also uses his strength in chapter 19. It tells us in chapter 19 that in verse 4, it tells us, and, and you'll see it on the screen, he brings the people of Israel back to the Lord. But then it tells us exactly how did he do that and what was a priority to him. It says in the later verses there that one of the ways he leveraged influences was appointing and instituting judges in the land. And so he's the, he's the king, only he can do this. But he, he instructs the judges, you need to consider what you do for you judge not for man, but for the Lord, he is with you in giving judgment. So now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. He is so bent on the people of the land getting justice and he knows that people often will, will take advantage of the vulnerable. The people who can pay bribes often try to do that. And so here he looks out for, for the vulnerable, for the weak. He looks out for justice. He, he appoints justice. He's the king, only he can do this. I want you to see how he is leveraging his influence. He's strong, he's powerful. And he has a compelling effect on the character, opinions, and behavior of others. Look again at his influence from the position of strength. And I want you to evaluate something. And that is, what influence has the Lord given you? And there's hundreds of people in the room. Collectively, I have to think there is a whole lot of influence in this room, probably more than, more than you might first think. You might have more than you might first guess. That the Lord has given to you. Can we get a disclaimer out of the way? I understand you're not a queen. I understand you're not a king. I understand you can't write something or tell something and everybody, 350 million people that live in America do it. And we understand that. So once we get that out of our system, can I still say, you have influence that the Lord has given you. You have a stewardship that the Lord has given you. And so how are you using it? Are you using it to be a bright spot and what otherwise might be a dark world. So there you are, you are, you are a manager. And the people who work with you, and we could say for you, you have influence over them. You can make their life better. You can make it harder. You can make it more complicated. You can be truthful and straight up and be concerned about them. Or there you are, you're working you're working in a particular shift and, and it's hard and there aren't a lot of believers and people have a lot of mess and all this is going, going while you're working from whatever time to whatever time, but God has placed that. I mean, he can do anything. He placed you in that particular place. And what would it be like for you to be a bright spot? Maybe you are a voice of encouragement to someone who repeatedly only hears like things that just totally tear them down. Maybe you're the voice of truth. Maybe you're the voice that doesn't gossip in a world where everything else is so negative. And I know that's hard. I know that's hard. I know that's complicated. But maybe that's what the Lord is giving you a stewardship of. Maybe you're a volunteer. Maybe you're a relative. I'm thinking of two conversations I had this week, one with a person who's an uncle and one who, with a person who's an aunt. And I, I got to hear firsthand their burden for their, their nieces, their nephews. 
And I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what the story will hold 10 years from now, 30 years from now, but I, I do know there's an uncle in our congregation, there's an aunt in our congregation who go, I'm going to use whatever influence I have to make sure those, those nieces and nephews of mine are cared for. Do, do we see that? Do we see the opportunity? I think of incredible opportunity of uh, parents who are at home and you walk in the door and you're done, you're exhausted and there are lives to care for and hearts to mold and sometimes just order to bring out a chaos and you care and you show up again and again and kind of personal space and personal time. What is that? It's been gone for a long time, but you care again and again and again and again. And I have to think the influence that you are stewarding. The people who've made the biggest difference in my life, who've influenced me the most, I'm not even sure they had a, like a real thought out strategy. Like it's not that they thought, well, Tuesday I do this and Wednesday, I mean, it, that's not the way it worked. I think they had a worldview that helped them see. They had a desire that they wanted to extend an influence for the Lord. And then when that opportunity met that desire, they, they acted on it. And in moments, it's not all that glamorous. And here, as I stand today, it's more meaningful than I can say. Got a text today from a fellow pastor, encouraging my heart. Reminding me again, God, God loves me. He knows exactly where I am. What an influence. Did that have a compelling effect on my thoughts this morning? I think there are a ton of opportunities here. The Lord has given you a job and given you a home and given you maybe retirement or success or skills or friends. That's why you show up. It's why meant a lot to me to open my mail, and there's a, a letter from a church member who was very, very thoughtful remembering, remembering to pray and expressing that. Do, do you see it? You know, Curtis, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I have any sort of position of strength. Uh, I don't know. Nothing's going well in my life. Well, can, can we maybe even have a conversation or maybe have a conversation with a friend today and say, okay, can we think together of where the Lord has given us something, kind of a position of strength, where we could leverage that, influencing a from a position of strength. Actually, I think most of us have a category for that. And we just need some encouragement, open our eyes, like quit being so selfish. I mean, I think most of us just kind of need a, like a word of encouragement to do that. But there's another way that God is going to use you to influence people. As much as I talk about influencing from a position of strength, it's important for us to realize that life can change and it can get really hard, often unpredictably. And the strength we thought we once had is gone. The position, the health, the feeling of being on top of the world is gone. And that's why it's so important that we even skip a couple of chapters ahead because life can get frustrating and complicated and wearying. And I also want you to see the influence you can have from a position of weakness. 
the influence that you can have that God will give you, not from a position of strength, but from a position of weakness. Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 17 is on top of the world. You get to chapter 20 and the world falls apart on him. I, I want us to see it. If you have a, have a copy of God's word, feel free to turn over a couple chapters. It'll be up on the screen as well. Because Jehoshaphat comes to a place of real vulnerability. This isn't an allegory. It's not just make-believe where there's a character, let's say his name. Well, I mean, this is a real individual. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 20, After this, Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A multitude is coming against you from Eden, from beyond the, Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon, Tamar, that is, and Gedi. So they're coming from the east. And it says in verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. So grateful the Bible doesn't pull punches there. The sense of an enemy coming brought real fear. It was a real threat. It was a real threat because later on we're told that there Jehoshaphat was standing and all of Judah with him, with their little ones, their wives, with their children. He feels the threat and he's afraid. I wonder what it is that pushes the buttons of fear for you. Is it something similar here where when the future seems not so secure, it would be, and Curtis was afraid, or fill in your name. I wonder what it is. Is it that others depend on you? And right now, what if you can't help them? Or is it at one point you could have been better and stronger and wiser, but not now? And that drives you to fear. Maybe it's refreshing in a tough way, but a good way to hear that life can go, like almost in a moment, life can go off the rails and we're confronted with things. Like life beats us up and maybe, maybe what's harder is to realize that God does humble us. Job would put it this way. If I use his words, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And nothing about that is easy. Nothing about moving from like the kiddie pool to that deep end. Nothing about that is anything we ever want. We don't. We just don't want it. It's, it's very uncomfortable. It exposes things in us that are not pleasant. This is Jehoshaphat, not in strength, but in weakness. When the king is afraid, like what is that going to mean for the people? Well, actually, we hear what it means for the people. How is he going to leverage this weakness I want you to see in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid. So what did he do? He set his face to seek the Lord. The story is going to be interwoven with the Lord and what the Lord has done. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah, now notice what he's done. Judah now assembles. Now not only is Jehoshaphat seeking the Lord, but now all of Judah is assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. 
Jehoshaphat stands in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he prays, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And did you not, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And didn't you give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, who is your friend? This is going back hundreds of years of history. He says, they have lived in it. Your people have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if, if disaster comes upon us, if sword or judgment or pestilence comes, we will stand before this house and before you. Your name is in this house. We'll cry out to you in our affliction and you'll hear and say, but now behold, we have the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom you in the past, when, when there was the exodus, you wouldn't let Israel invade them when they came into the land of Egypt and when they, they avoided them and did not destroy. But they're rewarding us now by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Jehoshaphat takes all this into account. He's remembering history. I mean, we heard Abraham. We heard themes of the exodus. We heard even temple prayers that Solomon prayed. And it's like this hundreds of years of history. And Solomon is bring, or, and Jehoshaphat's bringing all that to bear on right now. And I think we could do something similar in recognizing our God has been working his plan out since eternity past. We look at milestones of our life and we interpret those a certain way. Do we interpret those? in light of God sending his one and only son, Jesus? Do we interpret those in, in light of Jesus going to the cross? And do we interpret those in light of him rising from the dead? Do we interpret those in light of him, Jesus, being at the right hand of the Father, ready to hear our prayers to him? Do you see how focused, God-focused he is? When you have that kind of perspective, you can also have a level of honesty. I think one of the most helpful verses, if you're going to memorize, remember one from the story of Jehoshaphat's life. Look at verse 12 of chapter 20. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? And notice these words, for we're powerless against this great horde. And we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. I mean, in some way, like, we can't see God, but our eyes are on you. It's not even, a, for them, not on the things they could see, like the, the statue of Baal or the ashram. Like, they could see those, but no, no, our eyes aren't there. Our eyes are on you. And Lord, any power that we thought we had isn't going to help us. And we have no plan. So that, that goes really counterculture. You're not going to get promotions and raises by saying, ah, we're powerless and I don't know what to do. That's not going to get you a long-term contract in anything. I have no plan for this. I'm just out of ideas. And in the economy of God, though, this is exactly where he wants us. This is exactly where he wants us. As hard as it is to come to the end of ourselves, because when when he says those words, we're powerless, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God responds by sending a prophet named Jehaziel, who says in verse 15, 
speaking to God's people, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be dismayed at the great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. And you're not going to need to fight in this battle. You just stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. That those passages, they were ringing a bell. I'm like, well, I know I've heard these. Yes, I've heard them. It's the, the exodus where it's like they're against the water. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And, and more words from David fighting Goliath. And we're reminded the battle is the Lord's. It's like echoes of both of those are reminding us here. That even in your weakness, Jehoshaphat, God's strong. Weaknesses can make us feel very isolated. Life gets hard enough and you don't want people coming towards you. I mean, you, you just start pushing them away. Even if that's what you don't want to do, but you do it anyway. You feel powerless and you don't want to be exposed. You don't want anybody to see that. You push people away. But what if... What if we saw what Jehoshaphat does as the king saying, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And he leverages that. And a whole nation bows before the Lord. I mean, literally, they bow before the Lord. In verse 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground in just a supreme gesture that you're God and I'm not. I'm submitting to you. Your will be done, not mine. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping him. I mean, he's leveraging the weakness to say, we don't have a plan, but we can fall down before the Lord knowing his will is perfect. He leverages his weakness even in verse 20. He tells, he stands before all the people and he says, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Let's believe in the Lord. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets. So he's weak. He doesn't know what to do, but he says, what we are going to do is we're going to listen to the prophets. We are going to listen to the Lord. We are going to pay attention to his word. So even in your weakness, you can bring the Lord's word to bear. Even in your weakness, you can bring your submission to the Lord and say, I don't have a plan. I don't have a self-help strategy here. I, I need you, Lord. And even in your weakness, you can, you can help people find a voice of praise. Second Chronicles 20, verse 21 says, when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and, and he instructed them to say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. I've read a lot of military history. I love it. I've never read this battle plan. We're just going to make sure we sing and praise the Lord. That's why I was so, so encouraged by Dan leading us in that first song. Sing for joy. Our God is for us. The Lord is a strong and mighty fortress. So whatever weakness we feel, whatever weakness is going on in our head and in our heart, we start with a word saying, we're going we're gonna to focus on him. He is for us, not against us. I'm pretty happy when God uses strengths to influence others. 
Frankly, it's not, it's not my favorite when he uses weakness. When he strips this away, breaks this down, takes this away that seemed to be going well. It's often very, very painful, but God uses our submission and our, our listening and our praising. And when our life is spinning and spiraling down, he's still at work. We're broken down, we're tired, we're, we're worn out. And God is doing some of his best work. And it's so hard to believe. We need to be reminded. Could we be a community? A community of believers, a family of believers. That isn't so impressed with other sources of help. Isn't so impressed with our own intuition. But are pretty impressed with the fact that we need to turn to God. And we need to encourage each other to do that. Could we be a community that we don't trot out our record of successes? Joshvat doesn't. God, you know, I did this, 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 and this. How about you helping me out here? But he throws himself on the mercy of the Lord. Our community of life, I, I, our community, our life together is going to be defined, yes, by what we do on Sunday morning. But a, what if we recognize we're a family of believers that knows some serious weakness? I mean, that is true of us. I, I've talked to you enough to know the Lord has broken us down, many of us. I know enough that there are family issues, there are health crises, there are complicated things with people that matter a lot to us. And we just don't know what to do. And what if that weakness drove us toward each other to remind each other throughout the week? Maybe there are cards and notes sent, meals throughout the week. Maybe there are play dates and prayer requests shared. And maybe, maybe those stories are shared. Wisdom is gleaned, vulnerability to a level we've not seen before because we realize I don't have to hide my weakness. Actually, God might use this to show his strength and his glory. He may be doing something that decades later we're going to say, I, I don't know that I would have asked for that. But God leveraged weakness. By the way, this is the only way you come to Jesus. I know not everyone is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I know that in this room. Likely there are those that go, I, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the way we come to him. This is the way we will always come to him. We are powerless. I, I can't hold back death. I can't. I can't be victorious 100% of the time against sin. I'm no match for this world. Like, I, I'm powerless. And we don't know what to do. I don't have a self-salvation plan that's going to, it's going to help me like much this week, much less for eternity, to stand before a holy God and go, see, I did okay. I, I don't have one of those. We're powerless. We don't know what to do. But just like we reminded ourselves with communion, our eyes are on that cross. He did for us what we couldn't do. He took nails. He bled. Body broken. Blood shed. Our eyes are on you. And now he's ruling and he's reigning. He's listening. And one day he'll return. We're helpless. We confess our dependence on the Lord. When we come to him with all the authority he has, 
He doesn't trample the weak. But he says, the one who comes to me, I'll never cast out. I'll never cast out. So you're weak. I want to extend, it's not my invitation, it's his. Come to me, all who are weak. Bring that. You're going to find rest. You're going to find mercy. You're not going to find a taskmaster. So what is God going to leverage? He's going to leverage for many of us. He's going to leverage our strength. He's given us so many good things. He's blessed us in so many ways, more ways than we could count. He's going to leverage our weakness, more pain, more heartache, more frustration than we ever, ever cared to deal with. What influence is he going to leverage this week in our lives? Can I pray? Father, thank you for the reminder, the helpful reminder that it is not only in our strength that you're working, but in our weakness. So Lord, help all those that are listening today that you have blessed immeasurably. You have given so much. I pray that we would take all the things you have given us, all the gifts, and we would be selfish. But we would leverage those for the good of others. And for those of my friends, my brothers, my sisters in Christ that are weak, remind them even in this moment, you, you knew where they needed to be this morning. They needed to hear that their weakness is not pointless, but you are working out a plan. Draw us back to Christ. May we trust him more and more, rely on him more and more. We ask for your help to do that. We pray in his name. Amen.